Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this season. We thank you for this opportunity to meet and to connect with you. Thank you for your faithfulness, that you are always there, that you are consistent. Lord, before we existed, you were Lord, I just pray that today we would connect with you, that we would hear your voice, that we'd be challenged in a way that presses us closer to you, Lord. So thank you so much for who you are. We love you so much. And uh, thank you for this this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to grab a seat. Thank you, team. What a talented group we have. We've got Jen, who's uh, talents with her artistry skills. And if you've seen her Facebook blogs about her coffee art, it's pretty amazing what she can do. And we've got a team here who, who use their talents for God's glory. And it's such a, such a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm Sam, one of the pastors here. Lovely uh, to see you. And uh, welcome to those who are watching online. We, we trust that you're enjoying your jammies and your coffee uh, right now. But look, I, look I, I've got some talents. Um, it's, some talents, sounds a bit vain, but um, when I was in grade 12, I decided to enter a talent quest. And um, this talent show, everyone else decided to sing. And they were singing. And I'm like, well, you know, I can't sing, but I want to be a part of this. I don't want to miss out. So um, I got up with my best mate and we sang. uh, Do you guys know a Lion King? You know the Lion King? Yes, everyone says yes. If you don't know where that is, I don't know what planet you're on. Um, but the Lion King, and um, there's a song called Hakuna Matata. And before you guys all break out in song and dance, um, we, we didn't sing to win. We sang because we just wanted to have fun. And um, we, we, we lost in a very profound way. Um, but like that idea of Hakuna Matata is quite an interesting uh, thought that got me thinking. And uh, Hakuna Matata, what does it mean? means no oh sean sings i'll get him up next time Uh, it means no worries uh, for the rest of your days i won't continue because i'll start to do a little dance um but that that idea of worry and so we're we're talking about a series this week about worry matt's worried that my mic's in the wrong spot is that better matt thank you um but not worrying and uh i think if if one thing that is is plaguing our world and society right now it's worry in in so much of a profound way that it's almost the default like our normal society operating operates at a place of worry and uh, we're not going to use Disney to base our life on we're not going to use Hakuna Matata as a as a sermon but let's get into the word because uh, the Bible is living and active it's alive and it breathes into us and as we read it it reads us and it challenges and changes us so if you've got your Bibles fantastic uh, or you can join us uh, on the screen as well but second Kings 6 and we're going to talk about this guy, King Aram. Aram, Aram, I don't know really how to pronounce it. But this guy, King Aram, he was uh, the king of the Aramians. And uh, these Aramians were at war with Israel. And so Israel had a problem. They, they had this army that was much bigger than them, that was chasing them around the wilderness. And so the, the king of uh, Aram would devise a plan and uh, he would go and chase the Israelites with his army to c- conquer them. But the Israelites would run away and they always seemed to know what was going on. They're always one step ahead. 
The reason they were one step ahead was this guy called Elisha. Now, Elisha, he was a prophet. A prophet basically means they hear from God. They hear and speak. And so the prophet Elisha was telling the king of Israel what was happening. And so the king of Aram now had a problem because every time he, he planned something, the Israelites would know about it and would move accordingly. And so um, we're going to pick that up in verse 11, if you've got your Bibles. This enraged the king of Aram. Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. Like even that idea of someone who knows what he's saying, let's go sit down and devise a plan to capture a guy who knows what we're saying. Anyway, interesting thought. Um, The report came back. uh, He is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Uh, They went by night and surrounded the city. Uh, And I think that's quite interesting that that he didn't leave. So Elisha would have known... Uh, that this army was coming. He, he knew he, he had this gift, his talent of uh, that God was, was telling him what was happening. And he didn't leave Dothan, he just stayed there. And I think that's interesting because you can see his confidence was in God. His confidence was in God and his trust was in God. And uh, w- yeah, so really cool. Um, when this, the next verse. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Imagine that, like waking up in the morning and like this is just a massive army around you. Like it's, that would have been a scary time and um, we probably would have freaked out. I probably would have freaked out. Um, Elisha's servant certainly freaked out. He, he, his, he comes in and says to Elisha, Oh no, my Lord, uh, what shall we do? Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? His servant asked him. And uh, Elisha, he's probably chewing on a bit of bacon, is like, hey, that bacon on your plate, are you going to finish that? Can, can I have that? He just seems to be completely unfazed by this army that's there. And uh, I think in, in, in our lives today, we have so many things, so many problems that surround us that can cause us to worry, but we have this opportunity of just responding. How do we respond? Why do we respond the way we do? And there's so many things that we have that can um, take our focus and fixate our, our minds on. So, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do is his response, the servant's response. And I think our government is saying that right now. Oh no, what shall we do? I think society as a whole is saying, oh no, what shall we do? You know, we've got coronaviruses. You know, what about vaccines? Does the vaccine work? Is the vaccine ever going to work? You know, what does that look like? Um, Is China going to invade? You know, are we going to war? You know, there's so many things. A couple of weeks ago, there was an asteroid that was coming to Earth. And I'm like, oh... Like, worry is just the default. Like, our society feeds on it. Our media make money out of it. And worry is just something that, it, that puts us in a place that we're not in control. And that's an interesting thought because I think worry is on the premise that we are in control when we're not really. When we have a realization, a revelation that we're not in control but God is, that takes, we, we are able to enter into His peace. His peace. So we could be worried about the U.S. elections and global warming and vaccines. And, and there's things that are good for us to be aware of and to be intentional and be good to have, show responsibility towards. But I don't think worry is our response and what we need to do. 
Because worry is basically a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust in either his ability or his goodness. It, it is worry exists when we place trust with fear. We insert fear to where trust should be. And then we start to worry. And that is our response. We start to worry and we start to change our perspective. And it's, worry has, has a profound health effect on your body. It's, it's not good for you to be worried or anxious. It's not good for you to be in that place. So worry is when we're forgetting the promises of God and who he is. We're going to continue the story, uh, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. And his prayer was this. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked around and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Horses and chariots on fire. Like, that's pretty cool, hey? Like, I would like to see horses and chariots on fire. I like anything to do with fire. Um, <laughs> confession time. Um, but look, uh, horses and chariots on fire. Like, at, at that time, let's put this in context, horses and chariots was like the, the greatest weapon that existed all in that time. And the, the Hebrew word for chariot is actually mechava, and that Hebrew word is, uh, means tank. It's what the Israelites, the Jewish nation of Israel, actually now call their tanks. They call them mechava. And so their tanks are like their, their best weapon. I've had the opportunity of being in these things and driving them, and they are amazing machines. And they just, the ground rumbles when they're going around. But these tanks on fire. So what, what God is doing is revealing to Elisha's servant that he is so much more powerful and supreme than the problems that he was facing. That Elisha and, and his servant had a problem, but God was so much bigger and more powerful than that problem. And that's a revelation that gave Elisha confidence and peace. And he was able to not operate in, from a place of worry and anxiety and uncertainty, but he was able to just trust in who God is and who he was and his promises that he will never leave or forsake. And that, that is a promise that we need to continually remind ourselves that God is for us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. But chariots of fire, you know, God didn't drop down some care bears. You know, you know what care bears are. Um, but they're like, not, not nice little fluffy toys, but, you know, God is powerful. And I think that's a revelation that we need to remind ourselves is that God is incredibly powerful and He is awesome. That word, our, our God is an awesome God. And I think that's an amazing uh, for us to understand that he breathed the galaxies into the expanse. He breathed, he, he spoke stars and constellations into existence. And, and if that's the God that I serve, then it gives my problems some perspective, doesn't it? It really does. If he is able and, and, and he is so powerful and uh, that's, that's a great place to put your confidence, faith overcomes fear and it enables us to walk with confidence. God is not just powerful, he is for us. At Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. What we need is a revelation of God in our problems. 
Who is God? That is something we need to fixate our hearts and minds. And that is why we, go to, we encourage you to make reading the Word part of your daily lifestyle, part of your habit to remind yourself who God is in the midst of your problems. See, God is, is for us. He's powerful, willing, and wanting. So here's a question. I've got a great question for you. If God is all-powerful and God is all-good, why do you have problems? Because he's, he's one or the other. He's either, you know, and that's, that's how our logical mind thinks, oh, if he's either all-good or all-powerful, but if he's both, then why does my problem exist? And I think that's a really good question and I'm just going to put pause on that because I'm not going to answer, you know, suspense, just build the suspense, and you're like, oh, wow, a moment later. Um, but it's a really good question. It's good for us to ask these questions. And we're going to read, continue, uh, verse 18. Uh, As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. So, like, my mind goes Star Wars. This is not the droids you're looking for, you know? Like, this is not the road, this is not the people you're looking for. Sorry about that. Um, but it's, it's, he, he's, he's saying, hey, you know, he's redirecting um, maybe a little bit of a little, little white lie there um, because it was the person he was looking for. Um, side note. Um, but he led them to Samaria. So Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And they led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? That's a pretty interesting response. Like, I mean, if you've got you know, an army that's sort of just been gifted to you, your response is, you know, Surely none of us would think that way. Hey, we'd, we'd be like, no, no. We'd do the right thing. Geneva Convention, they're unarmed, you know. Um, but look, I, I think... Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll move this out of the way. Is that better? Um, I think that I would react in a similar way, and I think I do that all the time. And here's, here's what I mean, is that I, I bring my problem to God, and I'm like, God, just, just kill my problem. I just want you to remove the problem, get rid of it, destroy it. I want this problem gone. And, and I, I respond in a similar way, maybe not as barbaric or inhumane, but I address my problems in the same or similar capacity where I'm like, oh, God, remove this problem. Why is this problem here? I just want this problem gone. This, this, this problem is hurting me, whatever it is, whether it's my finances, whether it's a health issue, it's a, my friends or uh, my kids, or it's their, whatever is going on in my life, I, I come at it with God, I want you to fix this thing for me. I just want you to get rid of the issue before me. And uh, I've asked this question about, you know, growing up. I'm like, why did God allow Hitler to exist or to live? Why did God allow Stalin, Pol Pot, uh, Emperor Nero? We've got people in human history who we just say, these guys are really bad, and they are. And like, so what do we do with that? And this comes back to, you know, how does God engage? He's, he's, he's all-powerful and all-good. Why does God allow problems, significant evil to exist in this life? And I think the answer comes back to understanding what is the real problem. See, often the real problem is not what we see. Often the real problem is so much deeper, so much bigger than what's actually before us. So if God was to remove 
all the, the evil and hurt and brokenness in this world, he'd have to remove me and he'd have to remove you. So even though I, I haven't <laughs> create, slaughtered lots of people, like, that, that's, that's, not, that's missing the point. Yes, there are different levels of kind of people doing bad things, but uh, before God, we are all corrupt, we're all broken. We're all broken equally. And, and, and so just fixing the problem would, remove, would mean God would remove all humanity from the world. But they, they are made in his image, he loves them, and he wants to restore them. And that's why Jesus came. Because fixing the problem meant he had to lose his own son. And that's what he willingly did because he loves us so much. My problem is my heart, it's my flesh, it's, it's, it's deep within me. So we are born into sin. And that's, a, that's not a very politically correct thing to say these days. It's not socially acceptable to say, but it's a reality we need to understand and, and acknowledge that we are born into sin. We are born needing salvation. We are born needing Jesus. And when we get that, we start to see the need and the beauty of Jesus and what he did. He continues, uh, Elisha said to the king of Israel, he said, Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. And get this, this is the key. This is the key, this last verse. Often we skip over it. It's, it says, So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. And I think that it is so, so key because what, what, what Israel's problem was was they're getting attacked. Their greater problem was that there was war. And sometimes we can, we can you know, win a, a, win a battle and lose the war. And God is wanting to win the war in our lives. And that sometimes means us putting up with problems in our lives and God leaving things there so he can fix a bigger problem. See, God wasn't just wanting to stop that army. God was wanting to bring peace to that region. And that's a revelation we need in our problems is that our problems um, are not about just us, but our problems are so much bigger. Our deep problems are usually about me, my attitudes, my responses, how I respond. And God is often using problems to change me, to birth something new in me, to grow in me, to challenge me in a beautiful way. And so often God leaves problems there. Not because he can't, not because he doesn't want me to be freed from those problems, but God is more concerned with my character than my comfort. He's more concerned of who I become than what, what incidentals are around me or what things that are frustrating me. God cares more about who I become than my level of comfort. And it's in the problems that we start to understand, you know, we can experience... Now, we can know about God in the good times, but we only really experience Him in the midst of pain. It's in the midst of a storm that you, you feel and you, you, you start to understand the depth of God's love. It's in the midst of the storm that you actually start to experience His goodness and His love and we start to see Him for who He is. So we sometimes ask God to remove the storm, but the storm is very key in God's plan for us to become more like Him. And as we become more like Him, we enjoy Him and we have freedom in Him into, into a whole nother level. And I, I love this, this verse because he's, he's, Elisha's saying, hey, set, set food before them. And they put on a banquet for their enemy. 
And Jesus, you know, he, he said something similar. He said, you know, I want you to love your enemies. It's kind of like there's the same author right the way through. Hey, that's another sermon for another day. But uh, it's a beautiful idea to see how God is wanting us to respond often in a different way to our problems. And that's why we need to go to God with our problems in prayer. Like Amanda said so beautifully, that when we go into prayer, it changes us. It changes our perspective. It changes our reality. It changes how we see things. And when we immerse our life in prayer, God changes how we deal with things and what, what God is actually calling us to do in a situation. Instead of killing their enemy, they were told to make it a, a banquet for them. And in doing so, they didn't just fix the problem, they, they overcame the problem and they, they brought peace to that whole region. Now, we don't know how long the peace lasts, but it's a significant difference when we, allow, when we listen to how God wants us to engage with the problems. Awesome. Amen? Yes, you're alive. That's great. God left pain in my life to deal with my pride. And the, and the, biggest, thing, the biggest issue that I struggle with is an independence from God. God wants me to be dependent on Him. As my source and sustainer, my biggest thing is I, I just want to do things my own way. And it's, it's a drive for independence. But that's a really big problem because we weren't made to carry the weight of responsibility of all the things in your life. Let me say that again. We weren't made to create and carry the, the weight of responsibility of all the things that are operating in your life. You are not a very good God, little g. You are not a very good God because you are not meant to be in control of all the things. And I'm not advocating that we be irresponsible people. On the contrary, we were just not meant to own all the problems and all the things that are happening in our lives. We're not meant to carry that weight. My shoulders are not broad enough to carry the weight of all the, all the things that are operating in my life. And that's the beauty of Jesus being our Lord and King. So He wants to carry the weight. We simply trust Him and respond and be obedient. See, worry is when our responsibility exceeds our capacity to control. When we no longer can control or we have no capacity to control a situation, we start to worry. And, but the reality is we don't have much control at all. And so our default position is worry. And if you're outside of Christ and, and His kingdom, like, worry is all you've got. Like, that's a normal place. But as, the problem is, as Christians, we often worry because we take ownership of something that's not ours to take ownership of. We try to control something that we're not designed to control. You know, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, you know, it's, it's everything is God's. And uh, that, that brings me to the next point, is we are called to be stewards and not owners. So, like I was going to say, um, you know, if you know a steward here, I'm not talking to name Stuart, you're not called to be Stuart, I'm Sam, hi Stuart. Um, but we're called to be stewards, and stewards, they look after things. And you might be thinking, hey Sam, that sounds a bit heretical. Um, what about the things will I own? Well, look, I, I want to throw an idea out here to you today. Um, was Adam meant to be an Odin owner of a garden or a gardener of the garden? He was meant to be a caretaker of the garden. And so right at the very beginning, humanity was called not to own things, but to be responsible stewards of those things. And it's a very profound thing that we understand that a lot of our problems come about because we try to own something that's not ours. And I love doing baby dedications because it's an opportunity when we, we, we bring our kids and say, you know, I, I, I love this child, 
I remember dedicating our kids. It's, in fact, I still haven't dedicated one of our kids. Side note. Um, but uh, but it's, it's a beautiful thing because it's, uh, um, here's my child. I love this child so much, but I'm not going to own this child. It's God's. I'm going to be a responsible parent. I'm going to do everything I can to raise this child in the knowledge of God and uh, to enjoy life and to have freedoms and protect and look after them. But ultimately, that child is not mine. And do you know the freedom that you get when you let go of things that aren't yours? The freedom you get is incredible when you start to release what isn't yours back to God who owns everything anyway. You have a freedom that you can enjoy everything. And if, you, if you've ever been a business owner, you know, Timmy's a business owner, the stress of owning is excessive. You know, you, you've, I used to own a business on a Gold Coast for nine years, and I, I mean, that's probably where I lost my hair, um, come to think of it. No. Um, but the stress is incredible when you, when you own things. You've got to chase money and chasing paying bills, employers, employees, um, tax, all that. It's stressful. And God is not wanting us to go through life as this idea of being owners of all things. And I'm not saying that if you're an owner, you need to sell up shop and, and give everything away to, to the church. Um, we, don't, we don't want that. But what we're saying is, is our heart and our understanding is that we are not owners of things in our lives. So if you, do you guys know what ushis are? Yeah. Well, everyone under the age of, you know... I don't know what, young, um, they have these little squishy things from Woolies. And maybe, I don't want to discriminate, some of the older folk might like collecting Ushies as well. Um, but these Ushies are really cool. They're like squishy things, they're little toys. And look, they're really cool. Like, we've got a sparkling silver Mandalorian um, from Star... Uh, from, oh, I was like, this is... I'll bet this is worth a bit. So we went home and researched. We're like, oh, I wonder how much this is worth. It's crazy. But the first thing is, we, we, I took these Ushies home to my kids. And... Um, do you know what the first thing they did? They, without even sort of, you know, looking at them too hard, they're like, this one's mine. They wanted to know which one owned which one. They wanted to know who was theirs, and then they started to fight. They're like, oh, you know, you got more than me. You know, how many of our problems in life and the worry that we carry in life are because we own things that are not ours? How many of the things that concern us, like our finances, understanding our finances that we don't own our money? We are called to be responsible stewards. But do you know that it's hard to be generous if you see yourself as an owner? It's very easy to be generous if you see yourself as a good steward. And Jesus told parable after parable in the New Testament about what it's like to be a tenant, to be a steward, to be a servant, to to serve something that's not yours and on behalf of God and to be responsible. So I I want us as a church to be the most responsible people in the world, but knowing that we don't own the things that we're responsible for. And it changes everything. It releases us to be who God is calling us to be. You were created to be a steward, not a steward, a steward. There is a difference in my Kiwi language. Um, Called to be a steward and not an owner. And if we let that settle through our minds and we start to reverberate through in all areas of our lives, my kids, the freedom of that is, it's not my job to, um, to convert my kids to Christianity. It's not my job. My job is to love them and to bring them up in the knowledge of God. But ultimately, the outcome belongs to the Lord. And that's the difference of approach. An owner cares how things turn out. A steward cares how things happen. And it's an active choice daily. And I think that's, a, that's something that as Christians we are called, you know what, how things turn out in your life, that's, that's God's. What we are called to is hear His voice and be obedient in the moment. 
And if that means that your problem disappears, fantastic. If it means that the problem stays so you can, God can work in a bigger area of your life or a bigger problem, fantastic. The outcome belongs to God's. Yes. All right, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that's just something that is, is just reverberates through in our understanding of knowing that we don't own the things. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. Romans 8.36, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, knowing all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are made to be more than conquerors of the problems in our lives. In, in another way of saying that is saying, what is more than conquering? More than conquering is actually birthing or bringing forth something that is good. So God is working all things for his good and ultimately our good. And it might mean that problems that are right before you, right now, God is wanting to work in a different way for your ultimate good, for a greater good in you, that he would do a work and bring fruit out of your life, that he would challenge you, that he would restore you, he would build life into you, he would breathe life, he would inspire you. You know the word inspire literally means breathe life into. And I believe God is wanting to breathe life into us by releasing us to be who we created to be, to be good stewards, not to be owners, to hold on to his promises that he's for us, that he loves us, that yes, he is all powerful and he is all good together. And how it works out in the end, that is the faith journey of saying, God, I don't, I, I don't care how it ends, I just want to be faithful now to what you have before me. And the joy and the freedom that you experience in that is incredible. There is a, when, when we got married, uh, 15, 16 years ago, is that right, Em? Yeah, six, um, we, we decided to do a road trip. You know, we're like, you know, we just got married, let's test this marriage out, that's what you do. So we jumped in a car, we're like, let's drive from Tasmania to Gold Coast. So we jumped in a car, went across the street of Tassie to Melbourne. We drove into Melbourne and we're like, has anyone been to Melbourne? We can't go there now, but I'm sure you've all been there. The traffic is crazy. I don't like. There's people everywhere. You to turn right, you got to jump in two left lanes, and you're like, it's. Um, it was crazy. The stress there. You know, if you're under the age of 30, you don't know what this is. But there's a thing that's got. It's a book that's got grid lines and it's got pictures. It's called a Rapidex, and, and it is hard. Like Em was doing a fantastic job. Um, navigating. I probably wasn't listening, as I usually do. I'm not very good at listening. And um, it, we got lost, and we were trying to find our way around. And, but the stress of doing life, trying to be in control of where we end up, is incredible. And that's why I love the GPS. Has everyone got a GPS yet? If you haven't, go home right now and buy a GPS. They are amazing. Um, when the Apple Maps first came out, you know, don't get one of them, because you just drive into the river. Um, but Google saved the day. Uh, Google Maps, fantastic, and, and you literally, you don't really, even if you make mistakes, you know you're going to end up, you know, it used to be uh, um, if you go from one place to the next, you know, oh look, we need some food, we need some fuel, um, let's just do a detour, and I'd be like, no, with a Refidex, we're not doing detours, I'll get lost, I'll get confused, I'll be stressed, 
But with Google Maps, you take a detour and you're like, oh, I want to enjoy this space, let's go see here. And you're like, ultimately, your destination is secure. You know eventually you're going to end where God wants you to end. And I think in our lives, we have this understanding that when we don't need to control the ending, we hand it over to God. We simply follow His Spirit's leading. He will take us to where He's wanting us to go. But the journey is enjoyable. You know, my GPS doesn't yell at me. My GPS, not saying that M does, but... I love you, Em. Um, my GPS talks very calmly. Sam, you know, you've turned left 200 metres. It doesn't say, Sam, you've missed the left the last three times, you know. But it's, it becomes an enjoyable experience when we hand over control in our lives and we allow God to be God in our lives and we simply sit back and be obedient. And it's a challenge for us today that often the worry that we, fo- that we face in society is because we're taking ownership for something that's actually God's and we're trying to control something that's actually God's, and often we're fighting against God. It's like, don't, don't be that person. You know, we, just be a good steward. Be responsible. Work as hard as you possibly can at being the very best responsible steward of what you have and what's before you. That is our goal. Our security and confidence is in Christ. This is how we live truly worry-free. God is in control, and our confidence is in God, being a good God and all-powerful. Worry no longer has a hold on me as, as I allow the truth and the reality that God is good. He is not angry at me. He loves me. He's working for my good and nothing can separate me from that. I love that. Deuteronomy 31.6 Do not be afraid or terrified because of them for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. These promises that God is giving us are for us to hold on to. And sometimes as Christians, we, we worry because we forget. We worry because we forget who God is. We forget His promises to us and we get distracted. So make, make time with God every day to remind yourself of His promises, who He is. And now, look, if this is something that's been significant in your life, I, I would really love to... I'm going to ask the band to come up now. Thanks, Simon. But if this is something that's really challenging and you're holding on to all the things in your life and you're worried and you're stressed because you can't release or let go and you're struggling to cope, just remember, you weren't designed to cope. You were designed to be dependent on a God who cares and loves you. Sometimes God wants us to just let go. Step back and enjoy who God is and allow Him to navigate your life. That is the most beautiful thing. That is where you're created. That is where you're the most content, happy and fulfilled is when you're allowing God to be God in your lives. And maybe that's a revelation that we need right now. Like Elisha's servant, Elisha's servant came up and, and, and needed a revelation. His eyes needed to be opened to the greater revelation. And maybe that's for you, that your eyes need to be opened and you can see how powerful God is, how good He is, how faithful He is. And for us to continually remind ourselves, He is good. Regardless of the situation, circumstance, or problem before me, I don't need to worry. God is in control. He's got this. God's got this. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. Who God is. That is our focus. And that's what I want us to take hold of today. Look, what we're going to do now, we're going to sing uh, of God's faithfulness. And if, if that's something that resonates with you and you would like a prayer or a blessing or even just for us to just acknowledge something that's been holding something over you and you, you just feel you need to let go, can I encourage you to respond? 
You know, often we just sit in church and we, we say, yeah, yeah, God, I really feel a, a tugging there. We don't actually do anything about that. Look, I would encourage you, if you're at home as well, look, just to respond in your own way. If you want to come down the front, Pastor Sean and myself will be here. We'd love to pray for you. We've got Pastor Mick here. We've got, you know, love to spend time and just pray a blessing over you, over the things in your life that maybe have been controlling you, that you can hold on to the promises and faithfulness of God. Let's let God minister through this worship song. Thank you.